0: Song of Solomon chapter three, as you turn there, we've been walking through Song of Solomon looking at marriage and relationships and attraction and intimacy and sex and all that God has to say in his word about that. Uh, It's been a a fun series so far because it's created a lot of really good conversations in the body of Christ. It's not really something we always talk about a lot. And for a lot of people, it's actually taboo. It's like, um, I don't know if we can talk about this, but we should. Uh, we should. And so we want to, to make sure that we talk about it according to God's Word. Here's the deal. People are talking about it. And we need to make sure that we can answer the truth about this according to what God has for us. Most of the time, uh, in, when we're talking to people and we're asking them, what are you looking for? It's like, all right, what are we looking for in a spouse? What are we looking in somebody? Are they hot or not? Am I attracted to that person? And do they have money? If they've got money, if they're hot or we're attracted, like, all right, like boxes are checked. But there's more than that. There is more than that. There's more that, uh, of value and, and that God cares about in it. Matter of fact, I think in our culture, one of the issues that's happening is we're preparing so much for the wedding day that we forget to be preparing for the actual marriage. And, and man, I can tell you as several couples are through that process right now, a lot of work goes into that wedding day. Yeah, Uh, that's right. Uh, A lot, a lot happens for that day. Man, I, I stand here, I have like the seat in the house and I'm standing here and man, you've got wedding people saying you're here and you're standing here, all this detail and all this work, but what happens if we spend all of our effort and energy and resources preparing for the marriage Uh, the the wedding day, but not necessarily our marriages. And so uh, we're gonna look at Song of Solomon chapter three today. Let's just dive right in and we'll kind of begin to explain a little bit about what God has. Here we go, chapter three, starting in verse one. She's having this dream and this is her dream. In my bed at night, I sought the one I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. I will arise now and go about the city through the streets and the plazas. I will seek the one I love. I sought him but did not find him. The guards who go about the city found me. I asked them, had you seen the one I love? I just passed them when I found the one I love. I held on to him and I would not let him go until I brought him to my mother's house, to the chambers of the one who conceived me. Young women of Jerusalem, I charge you, by the gazelles and the wild does of the field, do not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. Now, what's happening is she's having this dream. She's having this dream that the one that she loves, by the end of the chapter, we're gonna like start getting a, a glimpse into their, their wedding ceremony. So she's, she's engaged, she's betrothed to this man, and now she's in worry or fear that she's about to lose him. Now this is not something that happens just like 3,000, 4,000 years ago. There are still a lot of ladies who have panicked or freaked out about losing their guy or a fear or worry that you're just gonna be single like the rest of your life. I've heard girls say it, I used to hear it all the time. We'd be hanging out in groups of girls like, I'm just gonna go like, be a monk somewhere. I'm just like, never gonna meet somebody, I'm gonna be single the rest of my life. And I always took off running because I scared. i like, is this a discussion or are they asking? I just didn't know, so I'm like, I'm out of here. And so, but there's a worry, there's a fear, there's an anxiety like, is something wrong with me? Am I just, am I not gonna meet that person? And this is the fear that she's having. I found somebody that I love, I don't wanna lose him. I don't want him to be gone. And so she's kind of panicking. And, and so here's her response to it. She goes looking for him and she finds him and she's like, all right, I'm bringing him to mama. <laughs> I'm bringing him to mama's house. Because honestly, who looks after you more than mama does? And so she's like, here's our, and this was a cultural thing. Uh, what would happen during the betrothal process, often the, the husband or soon to be husband would come and live in their home. I mean, think about it. I mean, dad's watching you. He's like, I wanna know where this joker is. I wanna know where he is. I wanna know where his hands are. I wanna know what's happening. So you're staying in this house, in this room, and I'm sleeping like right here. And that's how it's gonna be. So this was a common thing. So she's like, this is my answer. I'm wrapping you up and I'm not gonna let you go. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm scared. Let me tell you what can happen out of fear, if you're not careful, because you you don't wanna be single, or you're scared you're gonna lose him, you can begin to press too hard. And as a result of pressing so hard out of your fear, you actually push him away. Some ladies, maybe you're here today, and and you're ready for him to like pop the question. You're ready to be married, and so you can start pressuring that situation. And out of your, your premature pressuring of a commitment, you can actually push him away. Many girls push for commitment, well, because you're, the way that you think or process is, life will not be good if I do not have this man. Life will not be good. I mean, since three years old, you've been thinking about like marriage and you've been thinking about getting married one day, and look, I just found out my little four-year-old boy went to pre-K and came home talking about some girl he loves and wants to marry. I'm like, brah, we're supposed to be playing with army men. Leave that girl alone. I was pretty pumped that he liked a girl though. I'm like, yes, it's something we pray for. But now it's like, how do we, I mean, some of y'all got that. Others will get it later. <laughs> but see, here's what happens. As we begin to make love in marriage, in relationships, we begin to make them an idol. And here's how. Because you cannot imagine living life without that person. Instead of seeing that person as a good gift from God, you begin to make that God. See, we do this today. The timeline's a little bit different. In first service, I told them that for many of our first service, uh, they're now 70, 80 years old. They were getting married between the ages of 16 and 18. Between the ages of 16 and 18. Some of you are like, whoa, I have a 16 year old. Ain't no way. Now the average age is between 25 and 27. And so it's been pushed back longer. Now there become struggles and difficulties that come with that coming back. And so now though, we do this thing. We say, okay, I've got a plan for my life. I'm gonna graduate high school. When I graduate high school, I'm gonna go to college and get a four year degree that takes five years. And then after I do that, I'm gonna either go into the workplace and then after I've worked a little bit or long enough, then I'm gonna meet this guy and like we're gonna be in love. But for that to happen and us to get married at that time, I have to like either meet him and date like through high school all the way through college or we need to meet in college and when I graduate, I better have a guy. If I do not have a guy and I just graduated college, I gotta freak out. Like my timeline is not happening. Like, and so you start getting pressured and you start pushing. So you start, you're on like 18 different online forums. Like you don't even farm and you're on FarmersOnly.com right now. You're just like, <laughs> you don't care. You just took your farmer girl you know, Halloween outfit and you put it on there because this is serious. Because in your mind, living life without that person is not a joyful life. It's not good and you've made it an idol. You see, this is something that is good, given to us from God, but you've, you've elevated it to God's status. Love and marriage and intimacy and security, they are good, but they are first meant to be found in Jesus. And once we then find them in Jesus, we can look and find them in someone else. See, it doesn't start then, it starts in middle school and in high school. I mean, how many middle school girls right now, you feel like who you are is by who's on your side? So it's like, oh, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm good if I've got this boy. And if he will date me, then I feel valued, I feel important, I feel loved. So you're like dating in middle school or talking or Snapchatting or whatever you wanna call it, but you find your value in that. I mean, how many times, Jeff, have you found middle school girls seeking a boy more than they're seeking God? Or maybe the other way around it would say, like, how many middle school girls have you found actually seeking God more than middle school boys? Because it is, it is, we have to teach them and equip them. And the other way around, guys, you begin to seek a girl more than you are seeking God. So what happens is it becomes idolatry. Instead of loving God through something, you love that thing instead. So she is insecure, she is fearful, she is worried. And so now we're about to see this picture as she describes him where we're gonna see her groom. Next week, we're gonna get to see the bride from his point of view. And I will tell you, It is very different (laughs) how they see each other. So here's one thing I can just say as we begin to kind of ease into this text. If there's one thing that I can tell you as we make our way into it, ladies, is this. Well, let me tell you two things. One, this sermon series has made me go back to Stacy so many times and say, I am so sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm not preaching this message. I've said it every week and I'm gonna keep saying it. I'm not preaching this message out of someone who has perfected this. I'm preaching this sermon series out of someone who desperately needs this. I need Jesus in this area and in my relationship and in my marriage. And over and over, I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm not Song of Solomon in this area. Like, God, forgive me. We need his grace. Secondly, what I want to tell you, ladies, is this. The man that you are seeking at the end of the day is just a man. At the end of the day, he will always be a man. He will never be enough to fill your soul. He will never be enough to satisfy you uh, through and through. He will never be enough to anticipate every need that you will ever have. He will never be able to read your mind, read your heart, read your emotions, and satisfy you by knowing exactly what you need all the time and forever. But I can tell you, I know one who does. I know one who does know your mind, and knows your thoughts, and knows your fear, and knows your insecurity, and knows your worries, and is there beside you to help you along the way and will meet and satisfy every need that you have. So many marriages have been broken because romantic love has become an idol. You know, the the Jerry Maguire movies, like, you you complete me. That is terrible. You don't want Tom Cruise. And you also don't want the guy who's saying, you complete me. Here's why. It's like a life raft. If there's somebody out drowning and you throw them like the life raft and they miss it and they're drowning. So you dive in the water and they grab hold of you as a life raft. People don't make good life rafts. You know what happens? You drown the person trying to save your life. And this is what happens when we make somebody that idol. Their love for you will consume you and it will crush you. You don't wanna be that guy. If some guy says, I'll be your hero, baby, that is wrong. He will not. He will fail you, he will mess up. It's just, we're not made to be your hero. We're not made to be the one that satisfies you. We're not that, we're not man enough to be that person. Only God is. You see, lonely and insecure single people who get married to satisfy their needs become lonely and insecure married people. That's not how God made us to be. We are going to disappoint the person we love. It is going to happen. We're not perfect she, Stacy's gonna disappoint me in some way, and I'm gonna disappoint her in some way. And we have to understand in dealing with disappointment, if we have made that person our God, then our world comes crashing down. Because God never disappoints. He is the rock that is stronger than I. He is faithful and he is stable. So what Solomon does in response to her insecurities and her worries is he's gonna take her on, on kind of an emotional journey. You're gonna hear from her and everything she says is like these emotional responses. Any man surprised? Like that what she, is, what, what she is getting stimulated in him about is, is uh, these things that are stirring her emotions. And then the next chapter, what is gonna stimulate him and gets him excited about being married is all these visual things. And so now we're gonna get kind of four things that she sees in him on the way to this marriage that gets her excited about being married to him. So here we go, let's talk about number one. She's getting excited about his investment, by his investment. Look what happens in the text. It tells us, verse six, who is this coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke scented with myrrh and frankincense from every fragrant powder of the merchant? This joker comes rolling in like an Axe Body Spray commercial. He's got every smell good on and she's like, man, this guy smells good. Who's this coming out in the woods smelling all good? And so then, so just a, another sermon on smelling good, guys. So here we go, middle schoolers. Verse eight, all of them, it says all these, the, the, look, Solomon's bed, verse seven. Look, Solomon's bed surrounded by 60 warriors from the mighty men of Israel. Now we hear this and we're like, wait, huh? Why is there a bed surrounded by 60 men? There's not. He's gonna explain it in the following verse. Verse eight, all of them are skilled with swords and trained in warfare. Each has his sword at his side to guard against the terror of the night. King Solomon made a carriage for himself with wood from Lebanon. So this bed that she's talking about is what she's doing is saying, hey, he made this carriage for both of us like a bed that is made for me and him, like he has made this carriage and all of these 60 valiant warriors are walking side by side from this carriage that he has made for her. Now he says he's made with wood from Lebanon. He made its post of silver, its back of gold and its seat of purple. Its interior is inlaid with love by the young women of Jerusalem. Go out young women of Zion and gaze at King Solomon wearing the crown. His mother placed on him on the day of his wedding the day of his heart's rejoicing. So let me first talk about his investment. She gets excited about this investment that he is making into him. And maybe a word, men, for us to think about when we think about investment uh, is, is preparation. He's preparing for her. He's preparing to share life with her. How do we see it? Well, as a guy and you're single, what type of, what, what do you ride in their day? A horse, a single horse by yourself. But now you're about to get married and you're about to go pick up this girl, you're not gonna throw her just on the back of your horse. You realize we need something. So he takes the time and builds a chariot for both of them. And she sees that, she doesn't care about the type of chariot that it is. She cares that he took time to be prepared and, and eager to be married to her. He was prepared to share life with her. Guys, most of you, as we think about this, if you're like me, this is convicting. Because I live life at a really fast pace. It's like, one task, what's the next? And what's the next, and what's the next? And you get going, and you get going, and you get going, and then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, what about this, and what about this? I'm probably the guy that would've showed up with like a horse and like you know would've been dragging like a piece of wood or something. Like, sorry, babe, best I could do. I started last night, I'm procrastinator. And Stacy would be like, awesome, thank you for your preparation. See, he brings security to her because he was investing in her, he was eager. Ladies, let me tell you right now, if you are more eager to be married to him than he is to be married to you, there's a problem. He's eager. He's excited. Now, you might not be like all excited about like flowers and wedding frills and all of this stuff or even standing in front of people. But I can tell you what. There it, I will never forget. Ever all the days of my life, I will never forget what it looked like when those doors popped open and Stacy came walking through. And I thought, "Holy moly, that is That's my bride, boy. I mean, this is, I mean, you see the picture. I'm cheesing like a, I mean, it was unbelievable, like a middle schooler who just found a Mountain Dew boy. I'm like, yes. (laughs) I mean, this is my bride, I'm excited, I'm eager. And he's saying, I'm eager to be married to you. I'm eager to let you into my life. You notice at this point, she calls him King Solomon. Up to this point, she's been calling him a, a, a shepherd. He, he, I mean, he. The way that he knew her was he went out with a shepherd, his sheep, and he, he didn't introduce himself as this grand guy. He was pretending to be just a normal shepherd, uh, and, and so now she says, "I know who you are. I, you are King Solomon," and you. He has let her into his life. No secrets, this is who I am. There's gonna be armed guards around us. I mean, this is, but I love you, let's go. So she was excited that he took time to be prepared to invest into her. He was not only prepared to share life with her, but he was also prepared to provide for her. You see, as we get through this passage, and and I'm gonna talk about this in just a second, but I wanna hit it here. When we look at that, and you see, it was made with silver and gold. Some of you are like, well, yeah, he was a king. I mean, if I was the king, I could raise taxes, and then get other people's money and build an awesome chariot. Men, that's how you think. We you start thinking practical, she thinks, wow, he went through all of that work for me. He took time to think about what we would need to be married well, and then he did that. So what you're seeing is, it's not about how much you have, but it's about how much you're willing to point toward her. Ladies, it's it's kind of a misnomer about well, you know, if he has money and the gold digger sure there's some out there, but you know what? Most ladies, it's not about how much wealth you have, it's about are you going to provide toward her? It's not about how much you have, it's how much you're willing to give her. It's how much you're willing to get her. It's our best directed at her. He was taking his best and pointing it to her. I took this time and energy and effort and finances. Guys, you'll find this when you go to pay for that engagement ring. And there's a reason the engagement ring is like more than the wedding ring. It makes no sense, but it does in in one sense. She wants to know that you are prepared and that you are directing your best toward her. So one, she was excited about his investment. He was investing in her. Secondly, by his protection, by his protection. Notice that he comes walking up with 60 men who are skilled with swords and trained in warfare. Each has his sword at his side to guard against the terror of their night. Listen, nothing changes, by the way. This is way back then. Some of you are single. Let me just tell you what's gonna happen. You're gonna get married. You're gonna go home. You're gonna put your kids to bed one night. You're gonna sit down on the sofa, finally get comfortable, and your wife is gonna know, do you protect her? Because she's gonna hear some creepy noise somewhere in the house. And as soon as you get comfortable, she's gonna say, Hey, did you hear that? Nope, babe, there was no noise. <laughs> will, will you please go check that? And let me just tell you, if you lean over to her and say, nah, babe, you go check it, something is wrong. <laughs> uh, if you're that guy, there's an issue. And soon, it, look, I love this time of year when it gets cold in the house and you go jump in your bed and you throw those covers over you and it's all warm. You're like, yes, woo And then your wife says, did you hear that? <laughs> nope. Mm-mm. no, 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 uh-uh, I heard something. There was something out there, go check. If you tell her at that point, nah, babe, you, you gotta check it, I'm comfortable. There's an issue, she wants you to know. Are you gonna protect us? When we first got married, I, I was used to being in Warner Robins. In Warner Robins our whole life, we never locked a door, we never locked doors in our house. That's just, when I moved to Warner Robins, there was like 30,000 people and like 100,000 cows. And there was, we didn't have to worry about crime or things like that. And Stacy, her old life, she was raised in Durham, which has more crime this week than we're gonna experience this year. And, and so she had been trained by her dad what it meant to be safe, to be secure. So when we got married, she was looking for me to be like her dad had done. Do, are you carrying a gun? Did you lock the door? Did I lock the door for what? Do I have a gun for what? Who's coming? I was one of Robbins raised. But now what she's looking for me to do is, did you lock the doors? Yeah, babe, I locked the door. Man, I feel like that door might not have been locked. Will you double check? Yes, in the name of Jesus, I'm gonna double check. What she is saying is, am I safe? Will you protect me? These 60 men are not there for the king. They're there for her. He brought those 60 armed men for show to let her know, I will protect you as my new queen. I will love on you. With all the strength and power that I've got, I'm pushing it and using it toward you. I used to think that what impressed a girl was like how strong I was. So like guys, when we were working out at Houston County High School, the gym doors were open. Boy, I'm gonna tell you right now. And, and I wasn't grunting so hard to push the weight up. I, it was like a call to let all the ladies know, like I'm working out right now. And I want you to know how strong I am. If you hit a three pointer, you didn't like look at your teammates and high five, you looked to like the girl section in the stands, like did you notice that? <laughs> Booyah, that's right. You hit a home run. Any girls there to notice? Because you think they're impressed with how strong you are and like these like cool things you can do. And in and, and, and some sense, like that might be a little true. But what they really want to know is will you direct that strength toward me or your pride? Will you direct that strength of looking after me and taking care of me? And he was not on a showboat like, look how bad of a king I am. He's saying, hey, I will protect you. Another area I think this applies is not just physically, but also spiritually and emotionally. She's looking for her to be protected. Uh, and This is boundaries. So guys, some questions maybe for you in this is, are you protecting not only your bride physically by like locking the doors, but are you protecting your marriage emotionally in what you look at? Are you guarding your eyes to protect your love for your wife? Are you saying, I'm gonna have strong boundaries and I'm gonna set strong boundaries around other people? Like for me, I will never ride alone with another woman ever for any reason under any circumstances. It's just not gonna happen. Why? Because I'm never gonna be alone with another girl. It, it's just not under any circumstances. You say, well, what happens if it's like storming outside and there's a girl on the side of the road and her, her car is broke down and, and we're five miles from town and she needs a ride in? It's really simple. Man, you pull over and you give her your car and you sit on the side of the road till somebody can pick you up. I would rather have a stolen car than a lost marriage. How strong are your boundaries to protect your bride? Is it, are you doing anything wrong? Well, maybe not, but it doesn't matter. It's about saying, I will protect our marriage. The other day I was going to, I was meeting a guy for lunch. More is done over a dinner table. That'll be another sermon. So I'm I'm going to meet a guy for lunch and I got there early. Doesn't happen all the time, but I got there early. And I'm sitting there and there was someone that I knew, uh, it was a lady in our church, she probably thinks I'm crazy, but she saw me and she just naturally sat down at the table. And I'm like, mm, nope, not me and another woman just sitting down at the table. So I stood up. And I know she probably thought like, man, that's kind of weird. But I didn't want there to be any impression. And I know you might look at me and say, Jacob, you, that's a little overkill. Once again, I would rather have overkill Then for me not to protect my marriage when 57, 58% of marriages are ending in divorce, pornography is running rampant outside the church and inside the church, how about we just say, you know what, as men, it is our responsibility to think about the needs of our wives and to make sure she knows that you are secure in this. You want passwords to my phone? Check it anytime. Check my emails. Check Facebook Messenger. Here it is. You have access to every bit of it. Look at anything you want ever. Some of those text messages, threads, might need uh, you know, some explanations during the Georgia-Florida game. But trust me, like it's okay, but, like, I mean, but you have it all because I want strong boundaries to protect my marriage. So let me ask you, men, how are you protecting your marriage and your bride? How are you thinking after her? And I know for some of you, like, man, that is just too much. But once again, I would just rather have too much than too little. And I would rather err on the side of, of caution. Think about it, an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. So what boundaries have you established with your bride to let her know, like I've got you? Some of you right now, like someone, an old fling messages you and wants to like spark up a conversation. Let them know, hey, you go spark that conversation with somebody else. Like, I, we can't have that conversation anymore. Well, we're friends. No, no, no you're not. She gotta go be friends with somebody else. You say, well, I'm supposed to like love my neighbor. Well, then tell her to message your wife and let your wife love your ex, and that'll be awesome. See how that goes. It'll be good. But you have to have strong boundaries. So by, you gotta protect in your marriage physically, spiritually, uh, and, and emotionally. Thirdly, she gets excited about his leadership. She gets excited about his leadership. Look what's happening. He's, he's leading these 60 men in. Think about this for just a moment. He is, he's on the way to come get his bride in this chariot that he's made for her and these 60 men are following him. And here's what is coming to her mind. If he can lead those 60 men and they will follow his leadership, then he's gonna be able to lead our home. He's gonna be able to lead our marriage. He was coming to get her. Now, here's the thing when we talk about this and we think about like leadership and what that means. Our culture is fighting radically against this. I was listening to another pastor who was talking about leadership and issues. So I want you to make sure you hear what I'm about to say. A lot of the issues that we have experienced and problematic in our culture are male problems. It's, it's a, a, a male leadership issue. Think about it like this. How many men in all of history that have used their leadership positions to oppressively hurt, dominate, murder and kill over all of history. Look at all the leaders that have ever caused genocide and murder and and all these things and ask yourself, how many of those were women? Over history, how many? Very few, very few, most of them were men. Matter of fact, so much so that within our culture what's happening is, is they're saying, look, we need to understand all of leadership. For Americans' history, we've had men president, men leaders. And so now, because America's not in a good place, the culture is saying, I tell you what, well, here's what we need to do for the love of God. Men, you've messed it up. Women, time to rise up. Women, time for us to lead. We will take the place of men. We will become like men out of leadership issues. There is no question there is a male problem. But the answer is, how do we fix it? We don't fix it by saying, well, women, you just take on the role of men. If men won't do it, you do it. No, just leave the hole sitting right there until a man steps up and is the man that he needs to be. Our culture might say, well, listen, we're just gonna have no differences between men and women whatsoever. I'm here to tell you, I don't, culture, hear me. We love you, we just think very differently on this. There's nothing you can do to change male and female. God created it that way, from chromosomes to DNA to bone structure. I, I know there's some barriers in that, but for the most part, men and women are made men and women, and God created us to be different. But let me tell you where the systemic problem comes from. Are you ready? I want, I want to make sure I'm speaking to our students and our college students. So hear what I'm about to tell you. The average boy who grows to the age of 21... Before, at the time he reaches 21, he will have played 21,000 hours of video games by the time he turns 21. Now, boys, before y'all go looking around at your parents because they not told you stop playing video games so much, I want you to understand what that means. You will have played over two years of your life you have spent on a video game. And what are most of those video games? Let's be honest, what are most of the video games you play? They are someone being a hero. It's somebody with a gun killing other people to be the hero, to save the day, to win the war, to win the battle. It's somebody in a video game being a man and you're spending over two years of your life on that. Now look, hey, I love NCAA football. I love to be the hero. Look, I I drafted Herschel Walker every year. Boy, I love this. And, And I love, and I get it. I'm not saying that video games are like of the devil. Here's what I am saying. There's a systemic problem in that we are not raising boys to be men. And we have to train them up and teach them to say, this is what leadership looks like. If you are dating somebody and they are not leading outside of your relationship, there's a great chance that when you get married, they're not gonna lead inside your home. So you wanna make sure, how are they leading now? So if you're single, here's a few thoughts. Do they work hard? Are they serving right now? If you're saying, well, I'm gonna wait till I get married to serve in the church. Serve right now as somebody who's singled and loves Jesus. There's tons of places for you to serve and use and develop and grow as a leader right now within the church. If you're a young man, we've got a place for you to serve. We want to put you to work right now, you know why? Because I wanna partner you with someone who's married, someone who's a little bit older than you, someone who has learned some leadership skills so we can pass them on to you. So that when you get married, your wife would say, I am so thankful for Shirley Hills Baptist Church that partnered with families to help make boys men. Men that love God, loved their wives, and, and learned how to lead. Number four, what we see in this text is she was excited about his leadership, his protection, and his investment, but lastly, she was excited about his union. His union. I wanna quickly give you three areas, three people groups in this passage that were involved in his wedding. Three people groups that were involved in his wedding. The first one is he had a community of friends. He had a community of, of people. Notice this, I love this, this is, This is good. I want you to see in the text where she said, hey girls, I want you to go out and I want you to check and make sure that you can see that the king loves me. Now, some of you are like, hang on. That sounds like not very smart. Send out all your girlfriends to go check out on this guy and and like get to know him and see if he loves me. Like, man, one of them girls, they're gonna try to steal him. Listen to me, if your friend can steal him, you don't want him. Give him away. And she's like, hey, go girls. If, if, if you can take his eye, then his eye's not on me in the first place. He had a group, a community of people she did. She, had a, uh, she was under the protection of a community of friends. In the presence of friends, so that they will speak into your marriage and into your relationship. Often, friends sometimes might know you in even more details than even your parents do sometimes. And so having a group of friends that love Jesus that you are walking with together, that can look at you and say, hey, listen, this guy's bad news, what are you doing? Because here's the deal, when you start to date, you can get dumb, real quick. You can just throw out every value out the window at all. So having a group of friends that love you enough to say, hey, look here, uh, what are you doing? He he doesn't have our values. See, throw this guy out. The truth is, friends, for some of you, you're just hoping that their parents will just say something when you need to speak up. That's part of being a real friend. As I'm talking about this, as we're throwing a few things out, I believe that this is one of the main reasons Satan attacks the church. It's because he will do everything he can for you to not find a community of people that are walking with Jesus and growing. He will do everything he can to get you not to come to church. Not because he doesn't want you to hear an awesome sermon or because the music is gonna be so powerful because he doesn't want you to give. It's because if you find a people who are also growing in God's grace, there's freedom and safety and there's, there's growth that happens in community. So for some of you, step one for your marriage, it needs to be you need to find a D group You need to get connected in a group of people who also wanna love Jesus that can speak into your marriage. Let me give you a great example of this. When Stacey and I first got married, I love to joke and have fun. And, and uh, I didn't realize that a lot of the jokes that I, were, I was making, Stacy was kind of the brunt end of the joke. And one of my friends said, "Jake, I wanna talk to you for a second. I noticed a lot of the jokes that you make, kind of Stacy's kind of the brunt end of that. And it's probably okay right now, but I promise you there's gonna come a time where she's gonna wanna be lifted up and not feel like she's being torn down. And it, it crushed me. I'm like, no way, Stacy. Do you feel like I make you the brunt end of the joke? She's like. I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> let's sit down for a second, let's talk. I'm like, oh no, she said talk. And I, and, and I started realizing this is truth, but you know how I noticed it? Because one of my friends spoke truth into my life. Some of you, the reason Satan is attacking you the way he is is because he doesn't want you to have a group of friends. He doesn't want you to have a group of people that can stand with you on the day that you get married and say, we've walked with you and we love you and we spoke truth to you and we are with you. So date into a community where people can speak into your relationship. It's one of my favorite things, one of the things that I encourage people when I'm marrying them, I encourage them. It's up to them, they can can say what they want to. But one of the things I ask them, I like for them to say is I'll never divorce you, this I do pledge. And one of the reasons, Stacy and I said it to each other, but one of the reasons is because there might be a time where you just spoke it in front of all your friends and all the people that are there at your wedding and you just said, I'll never divorce you, this I do pledge. And you might be six months in or six years in or 60 years in where you're like, man, this is too hard, I'm done. And those people who stood with you that day can look at you and say, hang on. What about the promises that you made? It used to be till death do us part meant that. But now it's like till you're dead to me. I mean, and, and so, we gotta have people that can speak truth to us. So let me ask you, do you have a community of friends? She did, and she sent them out and said, make sure that you can see his love for me. Do you have a godly group of friends that you can trust to say, check in on this guy and make sure he loves me? So she had a, a group of friends. Second group that we see was her parents and his parents. His parents are involved with this. Notice at the very end of the passage it says that his mother placed on him on the day of his wedding the day his heart's rejoicing. Now some of you think about this crown because he was a king, but that's not how that was. In their culture, before they were married, the mother would put a crown on her son's head signifying that you are now like the king or the leader of your home. What she was doing the mom was empowering her son to now lead this new union. She was launching her son out and then allowing her son to lead the home how God intended for it to be. So this crown represents the Leadership of their new home. We have to release our children to lead. Parents, listen to me. We wanna be involved in our kids' lives and love them in such a way, but there has to be a time where we launch them. Do you know the top three stresses in a marriage? Money, sex, and in-laws. That's not like a joke, I'm being for real. Those are the top three stressors. You know why, here's what happens. Men who are 40 and 50 years old, they never leave their mom. 40s or 50 years old, they, they never left their mom. There was never a launching point. Often moms who have a terrible relationship with their own husband, they become emotionally married to their boy. They become emotionally married to their son and they can never let them go. And as a result, the boy never becomes the man that leaves the opinion of his mother. And so it's important for you to launch your child out. There has to be separation to launch. There has to be separation to launch. Let me give you maybe a couple of quick ways that you can separate in marriage and and launch your children out to grow and and, and to be who they need to be. The first one is, is in their dependence financially. Stop paying their cell phone, stop paying their insurance, stop paying their car payment, and let them go. Now, some of you are like, oh my gosh, no, what? No, look, launch them out. Teach them. If if you have, some of you are like, no, I wanna keep paying that because then I have some control. They're married. You're not meant to control them. Launch them out. Now, this should cause some rejoicing up in this place right now. Some of you parents, that is the exciting part. No more insurance. No more cell phone bill. Verizon, we have freedom, that should be the good part. But the next part is we think about this financial part is is secondly, we launch them out emotionally. You have to let them figure things out. If your child comes to you and says, mom, dad, I need to come stay at the house, I just got in a fight with so and so. Your response to them needs to be, hey, I love you, uh, but you have a home and you need to go back to your house. You'd say, well, hang on, no, 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 no. That's not me loving my child. My home is forever. If if it's an abusive situation, that's one thing. You know, we need to, but don't go like putting everything under the hospice of abuse so you can get your kid back. You never lost your child. You've just launched them to be successful. You tell them, listen, I love you, but you have a bed to sleep in. So go fix it before the sun comes up the next day. You can't come to my house Go fix it. You have to give them space so that they can emotionally figure things out. Hey moms, if your daughter calls you every time she's been in a fight with her husband and you listen to it, you're adding to the issue. You need to say, hey look, sure, let me stop you here. You don't need to talk to me. You need to talk to Jesus and then you need to go talk to your husband. Here's why. If, if your child and, and their spouse have a fight, you just, you've birthed that child. You have been with them their whole life. Who are you gonna believe? So what happens is they come to you and they start telling you negative things about their spouse because you're just trying to be a sounding board. But what happens is you now develop a view of them. And so when you come together over Thanksgiving and father-in-law sitting at the table stabbing through his steak or turkey and staring you down with letting gravy roll down his face on purpose. And you're like, what is wrong with your dad? Nothing, Nothing, no, you talk, he's been spewing for two months at how you talk to his daughter. But that was meant to stay in your home. See, part of launching them out is to emotionally launch them and say, look, you need space to figure things out as a couple. And if I keep running to your rescue, y'all aren't gonna learn to fight well. You're not gonna learn to communicate. We'll talk about fighting well, it's coming. Uh, and so we have to learn to fight good, amen? Yes, that's yes, a yes, it's no trick, yes. And so we have to do this. Do you notice the text when it says to honor your mother and father, it doesn't say that you obey your mother and father. It says to honor them. Everything your parents tell you to do is not always biblical. So the way that we honor mom and dad is not by always doing everything they tell you to do. The way that we honor mom and dad is by living a life that honors God. That They look on you and say, that is a life that I'm proud of. That is a man and a woman. That is a marriage. That is a home. That is a father. That is a mother that I'm proud of. And you have brought honor to my home. So the way that we do that is to say, God, I want to launch and be what you've called me to do. Parents, we have to do this. So there's two groups so far. We've got friends that have blessed us. We have parents. Hey, it's one of my favorite parts of wedding. Uh, I'm gonna tell you one in just a second. This is my favorite. This is my second favorite. Every time this girl comes walking down and her dad is with her, And I'm standing down here. I get the best seat in the house. It's amazing. I love weddings. They're so stressful, but they're awesome. You're supposed to have one shot at them. So it's like, you got to do this right. And she comes walking down with her dad, and I always have them stop before they get there. So they stop, like, you know, there's like a separation. And then I say something like, thank you, family and friends, for being gathered here today. Who gives this woman to be married to this man? And the father says, her mother and I. Sometimes the dads get nervous, so I flip my notes upside down and I wrote upside down so they could read it. Her mother and I. And the the dad turns to his daughter and he gives her a kiss. And then I say, and I look to, to the guy and I say, go get your bride. And he walks out and the father hands his daughter to him. And, and I'll tell you, the day that I got married, I didn't quite understand that because I was so excited to be married that I was like, can we just go straight to the kiss your bride part? Like, like I'm, I'm so excited. I, I love Stacy and I'm ready to spend the rest of my life with her. But now I have a little girl and I didn't quite understand what it meant for Johnny to hand, outside of his relationship with Jesus and his love for his wife, the most precious thing God had given him. And he literally says, I'm handing this to you and I'm launching her into your hands. Love God and love my daughter well. And then he goes and sits down and it's me and I just went and got my bride and we're standing before God. It's one of my favorite parts because it it represents a sign of empowerment and launching. And it launched to me as a man. It said, I'm expecting you to be the man of your home. So do it or I will kill you. And, you know, just want you to know that. So parents, we have to launch them. Thirdly, there's another picture here of a person that's present. And and it's a union between Solomon and God. Go back to verse six. And I want you to notice the imagery that's here as we get ready to wrap up. He says, who is this? She says, who is this coming from the wilderness? Like columns of smoke. Where else have we heard being led out of the wilderness with columns of smoke during the day and, and pillars of fire at night? See, this is an easy connection to where God was leading his people out of Egypt through the wilderness and he was guiding them as a pillar of smoke by day and fire by night. She's saying, Solomon, he, he reminds me of God. He's leading our marriage in this relationship and we're leaving the wilderness of singleness and we're moving into the promised land of of marriage. You see, this whole passage is not about let's be more like Solomon. This whole passage is pushing us to a savior who is the better Solomon, the one who loves us perfectly, who leads us and guides us, who protects us and gave everything up for us. He would go on to write Ecclesiastes and he says in that that a three-stranded cord is not easily broken between a husband, a wife, and and God. Uh, My favorite part of every wedding, everyone ever, after that we get up and normally we'll say some things and I'm standing about here and there's bridal parties and bridal parties and and at some point I will say to uh, the guy and the girl, turn and face one another, Uh, tell them hold hands, act like you love each other, turn and face each other and then I'll tell them, we're now gonna say vows and you're gonna make these promises to one another before God and before witnesses. You're about to enter into a covenant relationship where you're making promises to each other and you're leaving your single independent life and you're now about to be one flesh. Here's why I love it. Because every single time I lead a couple in those vows, here's what it reminds me of. There's this bride who's dressed in white and makeup's done and hair is done. It's this day where she wants to look her most beautiful and her best self. But there was a day where God said, hey, I have a vow that I want to make to you. And marriage represents this. He says, no, you're not dressed in white in your beauty and your splendor. You're, you're like filthy, unrighteous rags to me. And all the, all the ugliness and my sin and all the darkness and all that stuff, God saw all of it. And he said this, I have a vow for you. I'm going to give you my righteousness and I'm gonna take your sin, and I'm gonna leave you like this beautiful, pure bride so that when God sees me now because of the vow that he has made me, I'm righteous and white and clean and good in the eyes of God because of the vow that I have in Jesus Christ. All of this is to point to this unbelievable love and beauty that God has for you and I. So what does it mean to have God in your relationship? What does it mean for God to be front and center? It means that Jesus is your fulfillment. He fulfills you. It means that the gospel is the pattern for how you love each other. It means that there's a time where I, I, I disappoint Stacy, or she disappoints me and I feel like I can't forgive her. But I look through my frustration and my bitterness or my unmet need and I look through that and I see Jesus. And I see that I have done that to Jesus and Jesus has forgiven me. Therefore, I will give forgiveness unto her as unto Jesus. And I will lead her in love and she'll lead in love and we'll follow and we'll work together out of what we have in Jesus Christ. We call this the love triangle. The closer we get to God, the closer we will always get to each other. Some of you right now, Your marriages are struggling because you've grown distant with God. Your relationships are struggling because you've grown distant with God and it has hurt your present relationship. Our homes and families and marriages will never be what they're meant to be without God front and center. You see, love is just not enough. It is important and it is crucial, but it is not enough. We need Jesus. We need his love. We need his grace. We need his couples. They did a study on on families, on on married couples who read their Bible every day and prayed. Not together, individually. Husband read his Bible and prayed every day. Wife read his Bible and prayed every day. Guess what? Less than 10% of couples who prayed and read their Bible every day were divorced versus everyone else who's about 60%. What, What does this tell us? We need We need Jesus. So today, I wanna ask you, will you pray for your marriage? Will you pray for your family? Will you pray for your home? If you're single today, will you ask Jesus, Lord, help me, equip me, train me now to be the person that you've called me to be. Men, we've called to lead. We need to be connected and united with her family and friends and, and with God. We invest into her and we lead and we protect. But at the end of the day, all of this is ultimately found in Jesus. Will you stand with me? Father, today I'm thankful for your grace. I know uh, in a congregation like this, and many of you are watching online, Jesus, we just we need your help and we need your strength. So lead us. We know that the world is teaching and telling people what, uh, what they believe about marriage and sex and intimacy and manhood and womanhood. So God, as a church, would you help us to raise young boys into men? God, would you help us as men though to first say, Jesus, we need you now. The only way that we can raise young boys into men is for us first to to say, Jesus, we need you because we wanna be the men you've called us to be today. So God, help us in this. Lead us as your church, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we're gonna have some pastors down front and we're gonna sing a song. We believe anytime the gospel is preached, Man, there's an opportunity for us to respond. We're gonna open up altars. If you would like a pastor to pray with you, we would love to pray with you. We're here. Maybe you're here and you're like, you know what, I'm ready to join the church. This is where I wanna join and be a part of and partner with to make disciples. We're here. Maybe you just wanna come and pray. Altars are open, you guys come. But maybe you're here and what really is happening is God speaking to your heart. It's time for you to surrender to Jesus. What you need more than anything else is Christ. Our pastor's here, we would love to help you. We're gonna sing together. Altars open, you guys come.